Hi, I'm Hakan Hayretin, and you're listening to the NL Full Time Podcast. Welcome to another NL full-time and it's been another mad week in the National League and joining us to look at it, it is Rob Worrell. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hi Luke. Hi guys. Manfully been in the uh, the hot seat the last couple of weeks, so uh, thank you for that, Rob. And uh, yeah. back on the other side of the fence now. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely easier, but it was fun hosting for a couple of weeks. And also joining us, it is... Dickie Wharton, good morning. Oh, hello, Dickie. It's not good morning. Hello, Dickie. Yeah, Telford's not in a different time zone as far as I'm aware. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Yeah, squeaky bum time for Dickie. We'll get onto that later on. And also joining us it is, uh, I think, the one member of the BT Sport team who covered the National League who we haven't had on yet. It is Chris Hargreaves. Hello, Chris. Hello. Good to be on. Yeah, um, I am the odd one out. Um, so looking forward to it. Always good to talk football um, and, you know, what a season we're having, eh? Absolutely. We're going to look at the National League North and South later because we've got one champion in the National League South and in the National League North, we've got one team with a foot in the National League. But we're going to look at the National League and all I can say is, wow, wow, wow. I just, uh, I was just sat at home yesterday, just fascinated by it. And just before we came on air, I was talking to Chris and Chris said, where did you go? I said, nowhere, but... I was equally excited just sat at home watching the scores come in because at 3pm it was Wrexham and Halifax who pushed home the advantage on Stockport. Wrexham, they won by a goal to nil. Oli Palmer scoring early in the second half and then Halifax, they scored late on to beat Yeovil. Zach Durnley on loan from Oldham, he got the winning goal there. So it was over to Stockport County, the live game on BT Sport against Boreham Wood. And there was a massive crowd there, just under 10,000 in Edgeley Park. Expect, expectant it was, but it didn't quite go to plan in the end. Boreham Wood came and party pooped. They won by two goals to one, which means Wrexham are now within a point at Stockport County. Stockport still have a game in hand. But Rob, can we say Boreham Wood are back? Uh, well, I think they got their mojo back. Yeah. Um, and, and fair play to Luke Garrard. You know, I, I love the guy anyway, but he's asked the question, I think, by Jeff Brazier at the end, you know, where's that Boreham Wood been, you know, recently? And he said, honestly, I don't know. I don't know the answer. But um, they are a bloody good side when uh, they get the first goal and you've got to get past them. Would you agree, Chris? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Get that goal and defend well. Got a great shape about them. Um, obviously, they've, they've, they've had, which has been talked about a, a fair bit, some serious injury problems. You know, losing losing important players of any team is difficult when you've got a small squad. But uh, and, and the cup run, um, I know a lot's been said about the, the trip away and did it coincide. But no, if anything, that 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 should have you know, give them a bit more energy. Um, I just think it's it's sometimes all of that effort um, that's 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 used up um, tires you out sometimes for the league. And I think that's what might happen. But I'd expect them to be there or thereabouts again next season. Um, and and it's a good sign of a team, isn't it? If if you if you're on you know in front of the BT cameras and you produce that type of resilient performance, like you know yesterday is. Dickie, I think people will be expecting us to start off the podcast by just saying about Stockport losing, but 
we've got to give credit to Bournemouth, manager of their FA Cup performances. That's that's very much how, how it struck me when I, when I was I was watching it that uh, you know it was almost set up in the same way that nobody was everybody was expecting a Stockport win given the form even though Stockport have had a little bit of a wobble lately but I think most people thought Stockport were going to going to claim the three points last night and Boreham Woods you know defiance and that defensive solidity they've had almost kind of lent itself to exactly the the, the game they played you know they got ahead. And they didn't look like being being broken down. And Stockport's attempts to score towards the end were increasingly desperate, I think. You know, we saw um, players going down in the box a bit easily, you know, just, just trying to get something that would get them back into the game. And I think that was huge credit to Boreham Wood for the way they, they defended. Yeah, Chris, I mean, before we look at Stockport, I know Matt Smith sort of said at the start of the game, he said about... That recent run's probably cost Bourne with a chance of promotion, certainly automatically, but they've still got a chance of the playoffs. They've got a game in hand, and if they can pick up that form, if they get into the playoffs going into form, teams won't want to play them, will they? No, they won't. They won't. I mean, I'm just looking at it now. It's it's a big ask, I've got to say, at the minute, it's eight points, and that no matter what you've got games in hand-wise, that that's that's... As I say, that's that's a tall order. Um, I wouldn't rule them out by any means. And the players, I'm sure, and the manager, without a shadow of a doubt, will still be thinking he's got a chance. Um, but, yeah, you've got to think about the teams above them that are also desperate to win those games. Uh, it's so tight. But, to be honest, I, I didn't think um, we'd be talking about perhaps two teams having a chance for the title uh, a couple of weeks ago. It just seemed, it seemed too big, didn't it? Eight, ten points is, is huge. But I spoke to Clint Hill last week, who's, who's obviously Dave's assistant at, at Stockport. And it, I watched the Yeovil game last week, uh, where Yeovil played very well on the day, but Stockport weren't quite at it. And they had Will Collar sent off. Um, they had a couple of good chances that they didn't take, but... Uh, Yeovil played well on the day, but it's just they've just had a, a sort of not I wouldn't call it a wobble, I'd call it a, just a, a little bit of loss of form at the wrong time. Um and they'll 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 just have to get back to those basics that that were proving so successful, won't they? Interesting why you teed it up because I was just about to say a lot of people have said to me, Ah, stop port having a wobble, but if they are they're having it at the wrong time, you can't afford to have it now, especially with Wrexham in such good form and Wrexham can either score lots of goals that it did at Weymouth on Tuesday when they won by six goals to one, or they can win one nil and grind it out. And they seem to be a second half team as well, Wrexham. They're either drawing or maybe behind at half time. They seem to come and get the job done in the second half. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's, it's, I mean, for the neutral, for, for, for BT, for example, covering it, it's, it's incredible because that's what you want as well as a fan, isn't it? As a neutral fan, as, as I call it. Not a, not, not a fan of one of these clubs that are going through a, uh, a solid time every week. Um, but that's what, that's what we want. And, and the standard, the standard is, is high, no doubt about it. I mean, I've just, I've been at Bristol Rover for six years in League One and League Two. And a lot of teams that I see at the men, I'd say that the sort of top, eight teams in the National League would be extremely competitive in League Two. Um, no doubt about it. There's, there's a massive ambition. There's the, the, the big big budgets um, and there's that massive determination to get back up. 
I won't, I won't, I won't go on too much about the, the the promotion things. I've been harping on like a broken record about about another slot, another team going up. But it's more for the teams that come down than 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 than, than can get out because you can you can do a Halifax and essentially I know they're reformed, but you can be out for twenty years. Terrible. Interesting. Bournemouth could have another say. They take on Wrexham on Tuesday evening, and then it's probably the hottest ticket in town. Next Sunday, it is Wrexham against Stockport County on BT Sport. And uh, are you, are you, have you been assigned for that one, Chris? I'm, I'm doing the day before. Uh, I'm doing the Torquay game. Um, so looking forward to that. Um, it's, yeah, that, that, that game is going to be on. Sorry. Who, who have Torquay got in that one, Chris? That's Torquay Chesterfield. Oh, Torquay fact. home to Chesterfield. So, Again, going to play a part in the, the in the sort of running, uh, but yeah, that that game is just epic, isn't it? The uh, the two teams at the top currently, and then obviously Halifax. <laughs> we went to the game the other week, the Halifax game, and a few fans were coming up and saying, "Right, it's about time you started talking about Halifax a little bit." But I I, I think we do. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Maybe it just goes under the radar a little bit, the job that Pete's done um, on, on, on what is essentially a, a very tight budget. He's always happy to be under the radar. If you speak to Pete Wilde, he loves being under the radar. He doesn't want teams to talk about them. And, and I think no. that's the way Halifax would like it. I know a lot of fans would say start talking about us, but as a Halifax fan, I just love, I just love people to talk about Stockport and Rex and then just kind of maybe sneak in uh-huh. unannounced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you, I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, I do. I've, I've got so much time for that club. I've played against them for a couple of clubs, and you know, I'm not too far away from there. And played against them for Grimsby enough times. Um, and it's just, it just needs to get back in. It's a club that needs to get back in for the community, uh, for for the fans. But we we all say that, don't we? We all watch it. And we see what it means to the local area, and it, it always sort of makes me smile because if you're a Man United fan, Man United means everything to you and, and, and that's all you think about. But it's the same for any other fan, whether you're Aldershot, Stockport, Halifax, Telford, that club means everything to you and to the community. So that's, from my perspective anyway, that's why I love the, the coverage that we, we sort of try and give because you know what it means to, to those people paying 10 or 20 quid to get in. Well, not 10. Christ, what can you get for 10 nowadays? <laughs> Tell you what, Rob, I mean, we, we, we always praise Halifax, don't we? But, I mean, there are t- they can be a tough crowd at Halifax and I don't think people thought they'd last the pace, but they're still in third place, they're still there. They're very good at keeping clean sheets, aren't they? And uh, we've talked about their attacking prowess a little bit last week. If Waters doesn't get you, then Matty Warburton will or Slew. You know, I'll get a look um, up close and personal at Halifax in the penultimate game of the season when they take on the, uh, the shots. But... Um, Basically, the at the top end now is kind of split. Obviously, I know you've still got to mention a couple of results, but it's split into three fights now, realistically. I think Stockport and Wrexham for the title. Halifax, mathematically, by the way, not out of the title race, but just would be very unlikely that Wrexham and Stockport would both kind of, uh, you know, slow up at this point. Uh, but Halifax are in a straight battle, aren't they, really, with Solihull Moors for that vital third position. Um, and some of the others are starting to fall by the wayside. Solihull on a good run. They won 4-2 away, already relegated Weymouth. Weymouth went down during the week, but uh, a really good day again for Neil Adley's side. Harry Boys opened the scoring, Ollie Harfield with an own goal, then Jamie Clark with a third goal, Andy Dallas got a fourth. 
in stoppage time. That game finished 4-2 in the end. And another team, Solihull, Chris, who've just quietly gone about the business at times this year. Done a brilliant job, honestly. They're, they're, they're nearly at that two-point-per-game uh, standard, um, which, you know, essentially is promotion standard um, throughout a season. I watched them play. They've got a really good way of playing. Neil set them up brilliantly. R- massive rotation in midfield. Um, play the game in the right way. I mean, you say the right way. The right way is winning, of course, but they, they do it. They, they win games by keeping the ball. Um, very impressed with them. So whoever gets Solihull in the playoffs, if they don't, um, if they don't have a, a sort of playoff disaster, which I don't think they will, I think they'll be a really, really hard team to beat. And they are the hardest team to beat in the National League, along with Wrexham. They've just lost seven games all Incredible. season. Yeah, Solihull Moors, and, and only four games away from home, which is two less than uh, anybody else other than Stockport. Not bad going. Just behind them, 5th, 6th and 7th, all level on 73 points. Notts County, Grinsby, Chesterfield, none of them won on Saturday. And again, I was surprised, yeah, Notts County. I saw them play um, Kings Lynn, funnily enough. I went to watch my lad at, at Notts County and they, they looked strong, looked really good. Um, and a, another club with massive expectation, aren't they? You, you know, such a massive club, you know, driving through Nottingham before the game, big crowd, um, same as Chesterfield uh, they're, uh, and Grimsby Town you know going back up recently to see my family everything everyone's talking about the football you literally can't get away from it but uh, again they 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 would really fancy themselves um, obviously having it took Hursty five years to get to get back up from um, the National League to the league and then unfortunately got relegated last season so they'll be looking for a a return as soon as possible. Yeah, really, really up and down day for those three teams. Before we obviously look more in depth at the Bramwell result, Rob caught up with manager Andy Woodman on Tuesday after they drawn 1-1 with Aldershot. Andy, it's been a difficult few weeks and uh, 1-0 down with about three minutes to go. You must be thinking, oh God, here we go again. <laughs> but thankfully at that point, your boys came up with a delicious set piece. Brilliant delivery from Coulson and Webster towering above everybody else to, to earn you a point at least. Yeah, I mean, I thought we was, you know, excellent tonight and just about the goals. I mean, it, you're right, we're going for a little difficult period at the moment and, um, you know, we're not getting the goals. We've had a few injuries. It, it's just not smooth at the moment or gelling. But look, we've got to try to get some momentum going into the sort of final few games and obviously with the, the game at Wembley, get some momentum ready for that Um we're not giving up the ghost. We're not laying down our tools and, and saying the season's over, but we're, we are we are stuttering across the line. There's no doubt about it. The confidence of both teams in what they were trying to do tonight because they've both struggled to get wins of late. And uh, it, was, it, it wasn't it was a brilliant game by any means, but it was it delicately balanced all night, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I think you've got two teams both trying to play some, you know, some attacking football and some nice football um, we was you know until the uh, the young man got the, the the nose injury we was really bossing the game uh, and then when he got the injury you know being down for the while it took a bit of momentum out of us um, and then we sort of you know they had a little spell just for half time but I didn't I didn't really I always felt that it was only the counter attack that was going to going to do us really and uh, fair play to them they sat in and uh, defended for their lives and then done us on the counter uh, pretty much which we we done last year getting in the playoffs 
Um, we're in a bit of a transition at the moment. You know, we're, 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 we've gone from what we were last year uh, and we're trying to play a little bit more different style of football. Um, I think it's a little bit more entertaining. Or it doesn't feel like it when you're not winning. But we're we're in a transition at the moment, and and, and like the summer can't come quick enough to to us, you know to freshen up and and maybe get some bodies through the door that are going to help us, you know, on this journey. We'll hopefully speak to you again from the podcast uh, at Wembley. I know you've got some job to do with with the league games until then, but uh, you must be a, a proud manager, um, you know, to look forward to, to leading your side out at uh, at Wembley. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, someone reminded me today that I've, I've been in the job a year, so. Um, you know, to to get into the playoffs, the club's highest position in 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 last year, and then to get them into the Wembley in within a year. I mean, I'm I, I, without saying you know too sort of blase about it. I'm I'm really quite happy of how it's panned out for me. Um, we've had a little bit of a bump in the road, but I think you know I'm learning a little bit more about my team and the setup and 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 everything else. So so I'm taking that as part of the learning curve as well. And interestingly there, Robbie mentioned to you about we dominated the game, but we've not been taking our chances. Well, they certainly took them on Saturday, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Uh, it quite surprised me, if I'm honest. Um, and, and again, if I'm honest, I didn't think they particularly dominated on Tuesday. I didn't think they particularly played that well, uh, Bromley. They did score a wonderful equalising goal for them three minutes from time, which which held up Aldershot's uh, charge to safety. But um, yeah, four goals. And uh, then he did quite a bit like Luke Garrard at Boreham Wood. He hadn't quite put his finger really on what, what, why they'd slipped right out of the playoffs. And and if somebody had said, walked into a bookies two months ago and said, what odds will you give me on neither Boreham Wood or Bromley making the playoffs? You know, they'd have probably got quite good odds, wouldn't they? But uh, it is too late for both of them now. Uh, for Boreham Wood, mathematically, it's not too late, but uh, it's pretty much done in uh, in my book. Um and uh, yeah, so Bromley back to form. And, and of course, they've got that added competition for places. They're all playing for uh, a place in the uh, starting lineup at Wembley, aren't they, in the FA Trophy? Yeah, two goals from Al Hamadi, who's on loan from Wickham. He's done really well, the younger racket international. Luke Colson and Corey Whiteley with the goals there. Lawrence Maguire and Tom Denton had led a fight back after Bromley gone at 3 0 up after just 36 minutes at Grinsby they had to come from 2-0 down at Barnet it was two late goals for them they'd fallen behind to Adam Marriott and a Luke Waterfall on goal before uh, Alan Smith got a goal back on 81 minutes uh, Andy Smith sorry Andy Smith got a goal back on 81 minutes and Luke Waterfall made amends for his own goal by equalizing in the 89th minute and then Rob, we'll come on to Notts County in a minute. They uh, they visited Aldershot and they didn't have a good day either. But in terms of Chesterfield, Chris, it's just not quite worked out for uh, Paul Cook since he's gone back there. And, and as you mentioned, Grinsley as well, that might turn out to be a vital point for them. Yeah, I think I've heard Cookie speak a couple of times after games and he's pretty pragmatic about, you know, the injuries they've had and, 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 and the problems um, that the club have had um, on and off the field. And, you know he's got he's got the t-shirt, hasn't he? He's been there enough times. I think his job now, and he won't know he'll he'll know this better than anyone, is just to try and keep the players as relaxed as possible. Um, you, you you just don't want to be tensing up at this point, do you? you? You want to go into games really loving your football. I know it's you know something Klopp talks about a lot. You've got to absolutely love wanting to get on the football if if. If you suddenly find yourself just sneaking behind a man and, and not wanting to receive the ball, you're in trouble. So he's got that 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 manager's 
role now where it's absolutely vital to get those players um, sort of at the top of the game if he can for those playoffs. Uh, I mean, we sneaked in when I was at, we were having a pretty poor season at Torquay. We'd missed out the season before in the playoffs. We lost to Exeter, which can imagine what I was like living in Exeter. That was a bit of a nightmare. But uh, the following season, we 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 were we were okay, and then suddenly we we sort of clicked into a really good bit of form and and got into the playoffs, and obviously went up through the playoffs. So I think that's what they'll be doing. He might, you know, what he might be doing is looking at a few different shapes here and there. He might be looking at personnel, um, but. You're absolutely spot on. They've got to. They've got to absolutely guarantee that playoff slot first, haven't they? And Rob, you um, you saw Notts County first hand, didn't you? It had repercussions at both end of the table. That result. It did actually. Um, it was quite a chaotic afternoon at the EBB. Um, quite a bit of drama as well. Penalties given that might not have been penalties not given that are probably. Probably uh, the most stonewall that, that that I've ever seen, and 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 by the way, that was uh, a Notts County penalty that was turned down, not an all shot one. Um, I think we've got to break it down into the two clubs' fortunes because um, we need to examine Notts County's playoff credentials, don't we? Um, but I don't want to gloss over what was after a really, really difficult season, a really troubled season. Um, it was quite brilliant yesterday to see all the shot put uh, Notts County away superbly. Backs to the wall in the first half. All the attacking riches that Notts County have got, Roberts, Rodriguez, you know, individually in great form, collectively in great form. Notts County were joint top of the uh, form table going into yesterday's game. Um, But uh, all the shots stuck to task and uh, they had the perfect out-of-possession performance in the first half. They counter-attacked three times and scored twice. Other than that, they were under the cosh in the second half, though. They grew and grew into that lead. Um, and when Sinclair Armstrong came on, uh, it was obviously down at Torquay earlier in the season. The young 18-year-old Queen's Park Rangers striker, highly regarded. Um, you know, when he came on, it really it really gave everybody, the crowd, the players, and he scored a quite wonderful goal on his home debut as well to seal the deal. Um, so finishing off on Aldershot, I wouldn't mind Chris's opinion. I know he's good pals with Mark Molesley. Uh, but finishing off on Aldershot, all I'm going to say there is pretty much week in, week out, um, they've had the youngest side in the National League this season. Um, and those young players have stood up to the pressure, that the immense pressure that they've been under week in, week out, particularly over the last couple of months. Um, and they've grown. They've grown. You know, some of them have turned into men and uh, they got the job done yesterday. Um, so just finishing off on Aldershot, Chris, what's your take from afar? I'm always interested to get a professional opinion. Obviously, well, no, you've, you've um, spoken just... really well about them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I agree. Sinclair Armstrong, real, real talent. I think um, when, I, when I saw them at home against Stockport, funnily enough, in front of the BT cameras, Stockport were, were a machine that day. They they yeah. looked invincible. I don't even remember that 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 game. They looked absolutely outstanding. I spoke to Mose and he said, "Wow, this is this is a this is a tough task. This is you know you're going to get some good teams." And I think at that point they were they were maybe ten points clear, um, but suddenly the gap the gap diminished, didn't it? And and yeah, you you you're spot on. Some of those young boys and obviously Mose just had to sort of say, "Listen, we're." we're 
we've got to win a couple of games. And I think there was a game, uh, I think I think they beat Yeovil, didn't they? They beat Yeovil, which is a big, big performance, big result. Um, yeah. Won the week before as well. So there's a couple of results close together, which just gave them that bit of breathing space. And I think the lads suddenly, I think when you get that little bit more of breathing space, you can relax just that tiny bit. Um, especially when Mark clearly wants to play in a certain way. Um, and I know that um, sometimes it, 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 it gets, there's a few raised eyebrows and some of the fans are getting a little bit tense, but th- this is the way we've, we've been used to playing, certainly as coaches, sorry, because we were both at Bournemouth together with, with Eddie. Um, and that influence is, is big. Now, the difference is that the, 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 the highly capable players in, in the top end of League One Championship Prem uh, and when you're asking players to do that uh, in, in the National League, sometimes it's more difficult um, getting your body shape right to receive, you know, getting that bounce pass from midfield out. You know, you've seen them play. It's, it's, when it comes off, it's fantastic. Other times it's a steep learning curve. Um, but I'm pleased for Moses because he's a, he's a top, top lad. Um, and he, he's, he, he, he really wants to do well there. Uh, that's what I would say. So it's a huge achievement for him and for the lads, the young lads, as you rightly say. Interestingly, Rob, as well, um, Adam Virgo's comments at the start of the, the Stockport Bournemouth game yesterday, we were talking about all the shots. He said it's a wake-up call and they need to sort themselves out in the summer because they've got lucky this year staying up, he feels. Yeah, he's. Um, I kind of bit at that, at that comment and dropped him a message this morning and he's clarified that he just meant... Um, I think it just meant that they finished fourth bottom and, and, and then only three go down. And in that respect, that's the probably one big bit of luck that Aldershot have had this season. Believe me, without sitting here and listing excuses, um, they, it, they've not felt like a lucky side this season. Uh, not at all, really. But um, moving on to Notts County, um, their playoff place is not completely uh, secure. Notts County, Grimsby and Chesterfield have all got 73 points and we'll come on to Dagenham, of course, in a little bit, but they still are a dangerous animal, four points behind. But Notts County went into yesterday's game talking to the uh, BBC Notts colleagues that were commentating alongside me. They still had realistic ambitions of trying to push for that third place. They're gone now. That's between Halifax and Solihull. And Notts County need to just take care of business and make sure they get across the line. Um, I think Adam Summerton, when he came on last week, made a really good point about Notts County and it came home to roost yesterday. He said, given the attacking riches that they've got, they probably should be one of the very best teams in the National League and they're not. And the reason they're not is due to consistency. Um, and having watched them up close and personal yesterday, this is my take. Of all those big teams up there, you know, particularly the juggernauts of Stockport and Wrexham, Notts County are a little bit nice. They are a little bit nice. They're not as physical. They're not as nousy. I think if they're allowed to get the ball down and play and run rings around you, they will. But if you stand up to them like men, I think it's a lot easier to take them on. Flaky. Again Is flaky to... the word you're looking for, Rob? Well, you can use that word if you like, Luke. <laughs> but, uh, obviously, I'm mindful that I've seen Notts County on a little bit of an off day but it was a little bit too easy to push them into an off day. Listen, they had a, a very good penalty appeal turned down at one all. Um, and I completely agree with Ian Birchnell. Uh, he wasn't talking to me. It was just his post-match where he said, 
the way that Aldershot kind of set up, if Notts County had gone 2-1 up in the game, it changes the whole game, doesn't it, Chris? But, uh, but um, yeah, just a few question marks for me about whether Notts County are a little bit nice as a team. Well, they've certainly got some unbelievable attacking players. I mean, Roberts, Rodriguez, Wooten, you know, 19, 17, 14 goals. It's, it's some, some return. Um, I liken it to the, to the sort of time I was at Oxford where, you know, I'm not saying they are the biggest team in the league, but they're certainly one of the biggest teams historically in the league with fan base, with history. You can't argue with that. And I think that we were the same at Oxford. Everyone wanted to beat you. Everyone enjoyed playing there. Everyone enjoyed playing against you. Now, on some days, they don't raise themselves. Uh, some teams don't raise themselves and Notts County will just, just, just run over the top of them. And that's what we did at Oxford. But on, when you're having an off day, it's very difficult. Um, because as I say, it, it, it is a bit more of a cup final to teams. Um, we, we managed to go up in the end with Oxford, but the first, the first year was, was, was certainly a challenge, lost in the playoffs. Um, and it was that. It was, it was that a lot of teams were raising the game. Now, it can't be an excuse for Notts County year on year because the, the, the fans need that club in the league. It's too big a club. You, you know, all of us have driven into the city of Nottingham and you know how close it is to Forest and the history both clubs have had. And, you know, they've been able to sign Harry Arter, who's uh, obviously, you know, an international, played in the Premier League. So, on paper, on paper, that team that team is good enough to go and win the playoffs and, and get promoted. Um, but I always, I always have to say how hard it is because I've been a player, I've been a manager and a coach, um, and I have to be a little bit more uh, of a neutral than Bergs because Bergs, Bergs can upset people at the moment. I can't because I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm in the game and they're, they're my fellow peers. So I know how hard it is for Ian Bergson at the moment and those players. What I would say is there's a football club, Notts County need to be in the Football League. Of course they do. Another team looking to get back in the Football League are Dagenham and Redbridge. They won 2-1 away at Wealdstone. Junior Marais scored yet again. And Emmanuel Honorise added a second before Josh Umera got a goal back in stoppage time. Now, interestingly, the, the venue for the National League Player Final has been announced this week. It's the London Stadium, home of West Ham United. It's not gone down great amongst the uh, the National League fraternity, certainly amongst the supporters' base. But interestingly, wouldn't it be um, wouldn't it be funny if Dagenham Redbridge reached a final, Chris? It's literally on their doorstep. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, Daryl would be delighted, wouldn't he? Um, oh, what a stadium! What a stadium! I mean, I can't. I, I know. Funnily enough, I haven't watched a football game there, but I've watched the Rolling Stones there, and that wasn't bad. Uh, but it, it is, it's a brilliant stadium. Um, I know it's not Wembley. I know we, we all love Wembley, don't we? And I've been fortunate enough to, to, to play there a couple of times and, and uh, also be with BT uh, when I've seen the joy on the, the, the faces of the families and the fans. I, I think it's, it's, it's not a bad second venue, I've got to be honest. Um, and... and Depending what clubs get there uh, and what followings they take, it'll be one hell of a day. Well, it's it's one. It's not that far from Wembley anyway. And two, uh, if it's your team looking to get get into the football league, you could play it on the moon and you'd be there, wouldn't you? It's, it Correct. doesn't really matter, does You're it? Spot on. You spot on. You spot on. Yeah. Um, I think the, the 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 commute to the moon would be expensive. <clears throat> but yeah, I, 
I think I don't know. You're not seeing train prices, Chris. It's probably cheaper at Flight of the Moon. I know it's an absolute joke getting on the train, and then you can't sit down. I mean, I, I was on the train the other day. I'm not joking, and I, I couldn't sit down. Uh, I, it was an absolute COVID hotspot, and there was some bloke shelling prawns next to me. He was taking his prawns out of the little casing. I don't know how many he had, but he, he was doing it for about an hour. And I, I, I couldn't wait to get off. In fact, I think I got off at the wrong station just because I was fed up. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it's so expensive, isn't it, British Royal? I don't know what's going on. I, it's, a, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. But anyway, let's let's get back to football. Yeah. Um, well, we talked about Dickie, all the shots. Sorry, sorry, sorry Luke. I say, I just, I didn't know if you wanted to bring Dicky in on the stadium thing because he's done quite a little bit. I, I did, yeah, I, I did try to take the temperature a little bit on the on this last week, and I think that the the feeling I got back from a few fans was, um, I don't know whether they weren't taken. You know, there was that thing about the National League can't organise a, a game like this at the drop of a hat, particularly if you may be talking about having a Wrexham or a Stockport there with the, the size, the number of fans they take. You know, you've you've got to have your arrangements sorted in advance. But in, but that Wembley thing, I think a lot of it came down to people saying, "Yeah, but you dream of going to Wembley, don't you? You don't dream of going to the London Stadium." And even and and it, and it was almost as if people would have accepted travelling to London if it was Wembley because of the prestige that the the the, the arena has. But I I likewise I agree with you. If it's about getting into the football league, I think you, you'd play that game anywhere. There was a lot of criticism, yeah, and, wasn't there? I t- Sorry, I was just going to say, Rob, we were there at Bristol City uh, last year. I think you were as well, Chris. I mean, there was a lot of criticism over that, but what a great final, what a great facility it was in the end, and there was no complaints at the end of it. Oh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. I mean, the, I've got to say, I mean, I've got, it's a club very close to my heart, Torquay, but the the, the Hartlepool following also that day, it was, it was incredible. And I know it, this is going to... I said it to the few of the lads, to Matt and, and, and Vergs and, and Holty and what have you on the day, um, that I thought it was, it played into Hartlepool's hands more because the, the, the stand they were in, it meant they were all together. Torquay's, um, two, they had two segments of fans and it, it, it sort of made it a little bit more sporadic for the support of Torquay. Um, that and also <laughs> the penalty spot must have been, uh, I don't know, I don't know what was wrong with that that day, that penalty spot. But yeah, it was a brilliant final and it was a, a, a I can't say it was a great venue for it because I'm, I'm Bristol Rovers through and through, but it was a, it was a, it was a good venue, let's say. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the London Stadium, honestly, I can reassure any fans that that is an unbelievable venue. And if you'd see your team promoted on that day, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Um, and it's, you know, it's not the FA Cup final, is it? It's not, it's, it's, it, and what I mean by that is this is about getting into the football league. This is about business. The FA Cup final is the romance and the dream and the Wembley and the history of it. Getting back into the football league for the communities is, is just a job. Get in there. And, and you rightly say, men, doesn't matter where it is. So obviously we talked about the joy for all the shot at the, uh, in, in staying up. The other side of the coin is obviously Kings Lynn, Chris, uh, a team that you've kept a close eye on, you son Cameron's there on loan, and it was a very up and down day for Kings Lynn, wasn't it? They were losing, then they were ahead, and then it was a last minute penalty for Eastley. I mean, it would have been immaterial anyway with all the shot winning, but just um, 
they've really they've given it a good goal. Kingsley, they looked dead and buried a couple of months ago, haven't they? And it must be pretty gutting for them. I know, as I say, you're some Cameron's there. Just what's the feeling at the minute? Yeah, I think they're just frustrated because they've, they've been they've been in enough games to be able to win them or get a point, um, and it just hasn't happened. I, I, they haven't had a lot of luck, and I know it's an easy thing to say, but you, you need it. Um, at times, you need a game to swing your way. Um, but it hasn't it's been punished um, they funny enough I was speaking to a, a manager the other day and he said that, that on the particular day they played him they're one of the best teams they played earlier in the season um, it's, it's incredible isn't it how, how your fortunes can can, can go um, got some good players um, and now it's a, a case of rebuilding isn't it for sure uh, I mean seeing that it, I know what you're saying. It was absolute hell. I mean, I was at a game and I was watching the, the Sky Sports Live come through. It's absolute hell. I'd rather be in the dugout or on the pitch than, than, than seeing that because it's the same as the you know Rovers yesterday. That's where my son is, is uh, signed at, at Bristol Rovers. And they I mean, they scored the winner in 90 plus eight. Certainly for Kings Lynn, massive rebuild now, um, keeping hold of some of the talented players they've got. Um, and then giving it a go again next season in, in what will be a tough league again. It's interesting to see Gold Omateo uh, starting to score frequently towards the end of the season as well. He's a he's a player who really caught the eye when he uh, uh, Steve King, I think, blooded him. Yeah. Um, and, and then he's got a couple of moves upwards, I think. Was he at uh, Yeovil for a while? Yeah. Uh, and uh, he's not quite fired, but he... he um, he got the winning goal at uh, Aldershot not too long ago. And, um, yeah, he's been scoring quite regularly since. He's uh, he's probably a little bit of a, a streaky striker, isn't he, Chris? But uh, he's, he's well, I, think, got... I think, yeah, for someone of that, what, what if he could, I know it's a big if, but he's got the potential to go and get himself 17, 18 goals in the, in, in the National League. And certainly, I've, I've watched him play in the last, Month, two months, and his hold-up play, his his actual um, physicality towards two and three centre halves has been really good, and that's that's a major part of the game, isn't it? You know, when that more often than not, if if teams have have defaulted to to go a bit longer, and you you've got to have that first contact, and that's what he's done really well. So um, it, it'll be a big coup for Kingsland to keep hold of him because I think he'll want to stay playing in the National League, but if they can, he's, he'll be a major part in them getting back up. Yeah, you can see him being a sort of striker that somebody kind of mid-table would pick up, like, I don't know, somebody maybe like an Eastley this year who need a striker or, or, or a Barnet or something like that. You could see somebody like that maybe who are looking to push up towards the top 10, maybe going for someone like him. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. got the, he's definitely got the tools to do it, hasn't he? Without a shadow of a doubt. Um I'm not sure what his contract situation is at Kings Lynn. Um, they will obviously try and keep him, but uh, if 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 he's got that burning desire to to be a, a football league player, then he's got to go and play as high as he can, hasn't he? Obviously, they went full time this season. Um, they felt they had to have a go at it. Um, any idea noises coming out of the club whether they will uh, at least have another season full time in the National League North? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't guarantee it, does it? You know, I know um, Woking did it and, and, and it didn't, 
didn't work brilliantly because it's a difficult transition. Um, they did it this season, didn't they? Um, I think money dictates, doesn't it? The owner's under pressure. He's, 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 he's doing it all himself, financing it. Steve Cleave, so he's got a lot of pressure on to, to, to keep that club running. And it, as we know, it's very expensive, isn't it? It's a very expensive hobby. I'm not saying it's a hobby for many more. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a major life undertaking to run a football club. But um, you can't argue with the fact that if the players are working hard every day and working to a, a, some methods and some, some, some shapes and a, a decent system, it will pay dividends. But I'd be, I'd be surprised if they managed to do that. Uh, to be honest. Um, I hope they do because it's a good club. Other results then that we're going to look at are Dover against Aldrigan 1-0 there. It was Josh Hancock with the winner in Torquay. One Maidenhead, one a late winner from, uh, late equaliser from Joe Lewis there. But we talk about teams like Aldrigan, Maidenhead, Wealdstone every week on here, Chris. I mean, the part-time, what a fantastic job uh, all those three clubs have done this season. Brilliant, brilliant, and it's it, you know it's spearheaded in, in, in its sort of infancy from from Al, isn't it? Alan Devonshire, Maidenhead, you know he's put the template down and sort of shown clubs that it can be done. Um, Wilson, unbelievable, done so well. Same as Altrincham. Um, I think when when it works, so for for a team like Maidenhead, they're not getting massive attendances. They're they're always competitive. Paying that extra money for the bigger contracts and, and full-time training probably wouldn't work, mm. but they are almost full-time in their professionalism. And by that, I mean, it's probably three days, probably one day less than any other team trains. And so, it, you know, they're getting the same analysis, the same nutrition, same S&C, same detail. Um, but I, I've got a lot of time for Al at Maidenhead. I mean, one of when I was taking the under-23s at Rovers, we, we we had a lad, Alfie Kilgore, that went there and Alan really looked after him and Alfie was excellent there and came back and got himself a, you know, a League One, League Two career uh, started. So, um, yeah, and and my old mate Timmy Mallet's a fan of Maidenhead as well as Oxford, so that's always good to see Timmy. In fact, when I watched, uh, when Alfie went on loan, I watched uh, them play Pompey, his first game was against Pompey in the FA Cup. I mean, they got battered on the day. It was on the it was on the TV. But I stood next to Timmy, and Timmy suddenly, you know, when you see a game where a, a young kid's got a cutout with tin foil of the FA Cup. Yeah. Well, Timmy had one. So the next thing you know, he's pulled this FA Cup out, and then in the paper the next day, there's just me stood next to Timmy with his FA Cup. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what a what a what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> But I was, yeah, I was going to make a mallet joke. I can't think of anything to add in with a mallet. But uh... well, Tim, Timmy, I know, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I'm, I'll stay on the same topic. I know Timmy's gone on a, on a sort of lands enter John O'Groats on his bike at the moment, hasn't he? Painting as he goes. Um, I asked him to do mallets, mallet in the changing room when I took over at Torquay. He did it. I played Oxford, which was obviously Timmy's club as well. Uh, and I said, "Come on, come and do mallets, mallet in the changing room." Well, the lads didn't know I'd hit him. That's probably why we lost Literally. one. Literally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, um, for the teams that, as you rightly say, for the teams that are punching above their weight, which they absolutely are, they must they must wonder what's hitting when they're going to play against the, the, the likes of Wrexham and Stockport and County and Grimsby when they've got these massive attendances. Um, they, they do so well to, to, to be so competitive. Brilliant. Well, Chris, thanks very much for, for joining us. It's been a... Uh, it's been excellent to have you on and I'm sure we'll see you at a playoff game coming up very, very soon. 
Yeah, loved it. Keep up the good work. Um, really enjoy it with a with a BT team, and you know, fingers crossed to everyone from now to the end of the season. So, if you ever wanted to know what it's like to be a professional footballer, well, Chesterfield's Manny Oyelike has just set up a, a blog telling you all about how to become a professional footballer. So he told Rob why he thought about setting it up and what it's all about. I've kind of been thinking about doing this blog for a while now. Um, yeah, I've just started it last week. Um, it's weird how it came about. So it came about, I was on the train one time, um, just coming back home. And there was a few, I guess, the football fans just talking to each other about, you know, <laughs> theorising about how easy the life is for a footballer, you know, how one of them could have made it, you know, one, just, just saying a loads of, you know, cliches and stuff. Mm. And obviously they didn't know anything about me, that I was a footballer, I was, you know, kind of eavesdropping at the time. Yeah. And I just thought during that time, you know, it would be great to just give, like, fans an insight and obviously younger players an insight into the life of a professional footballer. Mm. And then, yeah, pretty much from that, you know, um, idea kind of sparked something in me thinking about a blog. And, yeah, that's how, you know, the Living the Dream blog came about pretty much. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I think it's really good. I don't think it's something that's particularly been done that much. It's a great idea. Um, in terms of the... Uh, uh, address you can get it livingthedreamblog.co.uk um, and uh, you, you've also subtitled it how to become a professional footballer the four stages um, and even somebody you know hasn't been a professional footballer but has been kind of working closely alongside professional footballers for a while one of the things that's really struck me Manny is just how many knockbacks there are um, I was really, really privileged to be up close and personal with the England Sea Tour out in Estonia. Uh, and Paul Fairclough uh, very kindly invited me to sit in on the team meeting. And I couldn't believe some of the stuff I hear, heard. You know, it was about players. Um, every single one of them that were representing their country there had horror stories going back, had had stories of being rejected, had stories of uh, major injuries that had kept them out of the game. Uh, and this is something that you personally have also suffered several times, several occasions in both cases. Yeah, um, I don't think anyone who, you know, is a professional footballer has got away, you know, got through unscathed. You know, even though at the top of the game, I'm sure they've been you know, rejected, doubted, had negative things about them said. So, yeah, that... Uh, career of football is rooted with setback after setback. I would probably say the one of the probably main determining factors in how far you'd make it is how you respond to those setbacks, mm. which obviously everybody deals with differently. Um, but yeah, you know, a setback could be, you know, mental, could be physical in terms of an injury. Um, and then it could be social as well, you know, especially nowadays, it's a lot easier for us to kind of speak about mental health and, you know, just things outside of football. There's a lot of like gambling addiction and, you know, sometimes alcohol addiction and football and stuff. And a lot of that's mainly to do with social um, issues, I would say, because, you know, we've got so much time on our hands after training and such. If your family's not around, you don't have any friends, it leaves a lot of time for things to kind of happen. So there's so many things in football uh, just mm. giving insight to the fans and obviously the younger players so they know what to expect. But yeah, there's always setbacks around the corner, but there's also great rewards as well. I've been a footballer all my life pretty much, so I wouldn't be able to speak about what it's like in other jobs, but I'm mm. sure it's probably the same in terms of, you know, people having setbacks, people who doubt them at work, working with people that you might not like and stuff. So um, it's very difficult, but yeah, I'm sure that everyone kind of 
has gone through it in one way or another as well. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really useful for people that are up and coming into the game and uh, and also maybe for some of those that are struggling a little bit with difficulties. One of the one of the observations I've made, Manny, kind of watching the, the game week in, week out, National League level uh, for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years now, um, is about mentality. Mentality to deal with so many things, obviously, could be these setbacks, but it might just be playing in front of two, four, six, eight thousand fans. Um, would you say... You know, based on your experience that, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of footballers out there that have got a decent technical ability, but that on its own is it's not enough, is it? it, it, it would you say that mentality is is, you know, beyond having the, the 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 basic ability to play the game is is absolutely key if you're gonna make a career and stay in the game? Uh yeah, most certainly. I would say that the higher up you go, the difference, the main difference I'll probably say is the mental capacity and consistency and performances. So if you look at, you know, um, non-league level, um, far down the perimeter as you want to go, you always have players with extreme talent, players that have, you know, been in uh, Premier League academies, uh, were once, you know, the best player in, in a team, whether that's Sunday League or in an academy, but they're there for a reason. And mainly, from my experience in the game, it will definitely be some sort of mental um, issue, uh, normally consistency. So I would personally say that mental, um, emotional control, emotional intelligence um, is probably more important than talent. Because in order for you to be a professional player, to even have the dream, you'd have to have a, a kind of base level of talent anyway. Obviously, the the main difference between the top players is their ability to control their emotions, to have that um, mental, I don't want to say toughness, because I think that is something that can be taught and learned. But that mental um, capacity to deal with um, setbacks in the game, you know, fans booing, loss of form and stuff like that, I think that the mental side of it is is very important. And it's something that we're not taught, something I have to seek out myself. Um, Clubs didn't. Um, help me with that. Not, I don't think it's because they didn't want to, but I guess they just maybe thought it wasn't in their capacity or in their job description. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that mental, the mental side of football is very, very much important into into the success of a player. Well, well we wish you continued success. Of course, uh, makes a change, doesn't it? Not to just be talking about the game that's just happened or the next one, but obviously. Uh, you're currently uh, playing for Chesterfield. Looking on track for a place in the playoffs, and uh, um, should you make them, uh, as it looks likely you you will, we'll uh, we'll be looking out for you on the NL Full Time Podcast once we get to those uh, those playoffs. And uh, who knows, might catch up with you at one of the games. But uh, whatever happens, all the very very best to you. So we're going to walk next to the National League South. If you see somebody showing any of the signs of a stroke, you don't have to think about it. You just dial 999. Use the fast test. F. Face. Has their face fallen on one side? Can they smile? A. Arms. Can they raise both arms and keep them there? S. Speech. Is their speech slurred? T. Time. Time to call 999 if you see any one of these signs. Act fast. Make the call. Dial 999. And in the National League South, congratulations to Maidstone United. They were confirmed as champions. They won 3-1 at home 
against Chelmsford. Darkin lost 1-0 away at St. Albans. A Sean Jeffers goal there, condemning Darkin to defeat, which means that Maidstone are champions. And I caught up with the Maidstone co-owner, Oliver Ash. So, Oliver, first of all, how's the head? It's, it's very clear. Thank you, Luke. Um, the, the, I wasn't actually at the game yesterday and, and uh, it wasn't by any means certain that we would clinch the championship during the game yesterday because of, the permutations were quite varied. So it was a big surprise, I think, to a nice surprise to everybody there. And, and I wasn't actually there. So I had a quiet, quiet evening at home uh, drinking and um, following everything on social media. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a reasonable state today. Next week, the final game of the season, it might all be different. <laughs> yeah, it's been, um, it's been a long old season, hasn't it? I know there was a lot of people who mm. kind of um, felt you'd maybe underachieved a bit and were questioning uh, Hakan Haretan, but you backed him, gave him a new contract and, and it's proven to be the right decision. Absolutely, yeah. Hakan is a... He's a fantastic manager and he works really hard. He's a, he's a really nice, nice bloke and he deserves all, all the success. And yes, we did have a, a blip in the sort of second quarter or, or, or second eighth of the season. And we went through a few games we're losing and losing our way. But in the cold light of day, one of the reasons for that is we were missing a few players. There was injury, suspension. We didn't really have our our team together and it, when it when it did come back together and we were luckier with injuries um, it clicked and um, the, the, the last part of the season has been a, a really good run and I think that Hakan has overachieved to be honest when we set out at uh, the beginning of the season we guessed that we were somewhere we were probably the fourth fifth or sixth budget and so we said well we, we want to be in the playoffs definitely and we the target's got to be the top three but to find ourselves on top and, and clinching the championship with two matches to go when there's some really decent teams like Dorking and Dartford right behind us is, is a fantastic achievement. So you know, I really take my hat off to Hakan, the players and all of his staff. Yeah, it's, it's been a really strong league. I mean, Kent in general in, in the National League South, it's, it's, there's a lot of teams up there barring sort of Welling who are struggling down at relegation. But a lot of the, uh, the Kent teams are, are punching up there in the playoffs, aren't they? Yeah, they are strong. Dartford, we know, uh, are strong now. They've, uh, I think, reorganised, restructured their club and money's come in. Ebbsfleet have had lots of money for many years now and perhaps they've underachieved a little bit, um, but they're very strong. So Kent football at this level, at least, sort of League League 2 and National League, is quite strong, but we still don't have enough representations in the the EFL, really. It's It's a bit of a backwater from that point of view. Uh, in England. So hopefully uh, Maidstone can join Gillingham in the Football League in the years to come. That certainly would be one of our longer term ambitions. And just tell us how, how hard it is as, as a co-owner of a fan zone club. You're, you're like the figurehead. Obviously the crowds are amazing that you get down there, but just how difficult is it to sustain everything and, and run it? Because obviously you are a full-time club as well. Just tell us how tough it is as a co-owner. Well, we're, we're not really a, what people would describe as a fan-owned club because there are two of us, mm. Terry Casey and myself, who own the club, and we are fans, but there's only two of us. So there's mm. not like a thousand uh, members who run the club. So we, I think we would like to be seen to be fan-owned because mm. we, you know, we, we do make sure we run the club in the interests of, of all the fans. But, um, and the other thing is we're not, we, we're not full-time on the field. Uh, there's this slight sort of misnomer people talk about full-time and part-time 
we do we do morning training but we only train three days a week so it's a kind of hybrid i'd say we're maybe three quarter time um but yes it is it is very tough because our business model is is one where we run the business as though it was any other business we don't plan to lose any money we plan to be profitable mm. and we we treat our supporters like customers and we treat them like customers because we think that customers in any business should be treated with great respect and great loyalty so we've got no problem with that and and uh, if we keep our fans keep our customers happy the business will perform and we want to make sure that this club is you know is safe year on year hasn't got a risk of going under because we've over spent on playing squad we're very safe and prudent in the management and that is a very good way of managing our club because we did go bankrupt 30 years ago mm. and the fans many of the older fans still feel the pain of that so yeah that's the that's the prime strategy we've got is to make sure we're safe and sustainable um, but that limits of course then what we can spend on the playing squad we're not we're not like the richer clubs um probably in the national league who either they're funded by massive crowds and, and, a, and a big professional operation um, or they have a very rich owner who's prepared to pour money in. We're neither of those two. So our ambitions next year will be, I suspect, limited by our, our budget. And, and I think probably if we right now in the, in the aftermath of yesterday's, um, yesterday's success target to finish in the top half of the table, uh, I think that would be in, in itself a very good performance. Yeah, obviously, like you say, because you went bust 30 years ago and uh, as a fan and a co-owner, I suppose that gives you great pleasure in seeing that you've almost feel like you've got the club back to where they belong now. Yeah, I think that the, the club's got a great fan base and with our 3G pitch, we're able to mm. develop uh, um, revenues which are sustainable seven days a week. So it's a great community club. Um, we're getting bigger and bigger crowds at the moment. That's uh, we hope we'll sustain that next season if the performances are good. So yeah, the, the, it's a multifaceted business model. It provides revenues from the pitch and from all the ancillary activities, and that gives us that gives us great strength. Um, we're probably at our current level, the National League. We should be able to perform in the middle of the National League at the moment. Mm. So if we can find additional sources of revenue, we've we've been very open about looking for new investors if we can find new investors or even find people to come in and take our place who've got more um, more more money available and who can run the club um, sustainably and grow faster uh, then we'll be open to that so at the moment yes we we've got i think to where we belong we could we could justify an existence probably one level up um, and we may find in, a, in another tough year we slip back to the National League South because the National League is ever more competitive. But yeah, we feel we're where we belong at the moment in what is effectively League Three of the EFL now, the National League. It's, uh, you know, you look through some of the teams there and, and it, it's, it's really, it brings you back to my childhood when, when we were following Division Four. I mean, you've got the Halifax, Stockport, Wrexham, Torquay, Notts County, Grimsby, Chesterfield, mm. all these clubs. Uh, yeah, these are football league clubs. I can see the smile on your face as you name those clubs because, like you say, you're up there. You're going to get increased crowds because of the away fans, exposure as well because of BT. So it's all it's all looking good for next season, isn't it? And you'll you'll want to compete, won't you? Oh, very much so. Yeah, and I think we, you know, we went up. We were promoted five years ago or six years ago, and it all came very quickly. And and in the 
again, in the cold light of day, I'm not sure we really appreciated it to its full value. All the the pleasures of playing, going to going to Tranmere or Hartlepool or mm. Lincoln, uh, and this time round, everybody is going to want to appreciate it and really savor those days out. And when we have a thousand Grimsby fans come and invade our our stadium and all these sorts of uh, exciting times, I think everyone's going to relish it and see what sort of team squad we can put together to be competitive next season. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting, hopefully successful. And for the fans, we want it to be a fun journey. For sure. You'll be ready for it anyway, won't you? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, we're certainly not ready for it now the day after yeah. the day after the match, but uh, yeah, I, um, I spoke to Terry Casey this morning and we said, look, you know, we must uh, sit down and try and work out what sort of, what the plan is for next season. But I think we'll probably do that after mm. the final match of the season, which will be a massive party and not before. Yeah, Ollie, well, enjoy it. And congratulations once again. And I'm sure we'll speak to you over the course of next season uh, when you're competing in the top division of the National League. Well, thank you, Luke. Appreciate that. So that was Oliver Ash, And ultimately over the season, Maidstone, after a slow start, Rob, they've, uh, they've really clicked into gear and they've blown everybody away in the end. Yeah, they did. Uh, and I didn't see it happening when they had the big game at Dorking. And Dorking came through that one and one. But uh, within a couple of weeks, it had changed around a little bit. Maidstone had the momentum. Uh, and, and, and Dorking have been a little bit like the Liverpool recently, clocking up the wins, but just couldn't close on Maidstone, who were doing the Man City role, if you like. Um, and then all of a sudden, when uh, I must admit, I wasn't quite ready for it. I hadn't quite realised it. But bang, done. Champions. Um, another win they've been relentless of late Jack Barham's been relentless of late as well um, and uh, well Dorkin are going to have to uh, do it via the playoffs just a quick word um, on uh, one of the players uh, at Maidstone who uh, will come on the podcast at some point I didn't get myself organised quick enough to get him on uh, this time but uh, George Fowler uh, what a terrific day it would have been for him yes he's been uh, key in that uh, defensive solidity at Maidstone since he uh, left Aldershot and he will have got to celebrate Maidstone's uh, being champions and Aldershot staying up on the very same day. So, uh, George, if you're uh, if you're in a gutter somewhere, a little bit hungover, <laughs> very, very well done, mate, and delighted for you and the boys at Maidstone. Yeah, Dickie, that defeat at Darkin was only two out of the last 15 and that is championship farm, isn't it? Yeah, it is really. I mean, it seemed earlier in the season that we were we were talking very much in the south about nobody ever seemed to want to properly take hold of it. I know um, uh, Maidstone came through, and once they'd hit the front, they've not really shown any signs of of relenting. I think their their running looked a little bit easier. I think that just these last two or three games, I think we did expect them to to wrap it up this week, but I didn't think that they would wrap it up on, on Saturday, to be perfectly honest. I thought that Dorking um, would get something um, from their game uh, uh, where it's St Albans and would keep it going until Bank Holiday Monday at least. It makes does make me wonder if that might help out at the, at the bottom of the table as well. Um, Maidstone have got to go to Welling tomorrow and there is... There's no, uh, I mean, I'm sure the title's wrapped up. They're not, go, they can't be caught for that. Um, and 
with the situation at the bottom between Welling and Billericay, you wonder if that might have been something that Welling were just secretly hoping for, that they might just take their foot off the gas a little bit. Who knows? They might have been celebrating last night and with a 48-hour turnaround, but we'll have to see. But, um, you know, I'm not doubting their professionalism, um, nothing like that at all. But, um, yeah, it's probably what Woking or what Welling would have wanted, I would imagine. Yeah, we're going to look at the bottom very, very shortly, tight down there. But it's the race for the playoffs and, and sort of a home tie now behind Dark in Dartford. They're in pole position now. They've gone up to third place. They won 6-0 away at Slough Town. Marcus Denanga got a couple in the first half, along with Kieran Murta and Calvin Kalala added a fourth. Jordan Greenwich a fifth. And then in the 94th minute, Olamide Durajai got a sixth. Ebsfleet could only draw 2-2 at home with Chippenham. They had to come from behind twice. Elliot Remain and Chris Solly with the two goals there for Ebsfleet after Joe Hanks had put Chippenham ahead. And then a second time, Will Richards on 61 minutes put Chippenham back in the lead. But as I say, Chris Solly got the equaliser. Uh, really, really, um, really tight stuff in the South. There's some strong teams. It's going to be a, a strong playoff, isn't it, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's a right old battle now. Probably the best battle left, the one between Dartford and Ebbsfleet for third place. And, you know, one less game to play, a guaranteed game at home. And, and Dartford, uh, you know, whether they'd have won 1-0 or 6-0 uh, at Slough, they, uh, they'd have they'd have leapt above uh, Ebbsfleet as a result of Ebbsfleet only being able to draw against Chippenham. Of course, still do have uh, a chance, a little bit of an outside chance, but the best chance of making the playoffs of all the teams outside the playoffs. Interestingly, the non-league paper disagrees with some of the score apps yesterday on that uh, Dartford game. Um, I saw, as you did, that Murta had got a goal and Denanga a couple, but according to the non-league paper anyway, um, that's been adjusted now and Denanga's been credited with a hat-trick and uh, we're loath to go to Dickie every week about <laughs> Denanga. We gave him a week off last week. So, uh, Dickie, Denanga, Patrick, discuss. I well, I'll, I'll, I can, I can check up with him. I'll, I'll drop him a line and see if he's had to make room for another match ball in his house. I don't think he's probably claimed one for a while. So, um, yeah, I'll, I will find out about that one. But yeah, he's been a huge boost to to Dartford um, in in this, you know, latter stages of the season. Feels like he's. He feels really at home there by the looks of things and, and it's showing in the ways before me. Oxford City look comfortable in fifth place. They won two and away at Concord. Then below that, it's Eastbourne Borough on 60 points. They lost to Billericay. We'll get onto that very, very shortly. And then in the last playoff spot, it's having a Waterlooville now. I know Tom was on a couple of weeks ago and we said, oh, I don't, are we sure having a Waterlooville make it? And he was sure. I messaged him earlier and he, oh, they beat... They beat Hampton Richmondborough 3-0, having at Waterlooville on Saturday. Uh, quite comfortable by all accounts. Tom was really impressed with them as well. He said they were good all over the park. They got goals through Joe Osler and two from James Roberts. And now having have sneaked into the playoffs, they'll be a bit, well, could we call them a dark horse? Most people expect them to be in the playoffs, but I think people might be wary if haven't do end up in the playoffs and stay there. Teams won't want to face them, will they? No, they won't. And, and and they may as well use their own adversity and the fact that they're just scraping in at the bottom end of the playoffs to their advantage. They can, they can play a different character now. They can play a different role. Everybody had written them off. So, uh, 
you know, they can say it's the, you know, us against the world now and go that way. Um, and you have to give a little bit of credit to uh, Paul Doswell for, for pulling that round. They had a rotten run of uh, injuries, luck, form, everything you know, earlier on in the season. Um, but you always felt that uh, when they were just outside the playoffs, they, they probably were the side that had the best chance of getting in there. And they have done now. They got a three-point lead over Chippenham. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess, there are only two games left. And guess who play each other on the last day of the season? Those two, is it? Havenant and Chippenham, yeah. So Yeah, well, the goal difference, believe it or not, because Havenant and Waterlooville had a, a, a couple of good sound spankings, didn't they, from, from Dorkin over the... Uh, over the Christmas period, when they had players sent off early on in both games, uh, Chippenham actually have the better goal difference by three at the moment. So uh, uh, what Chippenham need to do in the penultimate games is make sure that they equal or better Haven't and Waterlooville's result, and then it will be in their own hands on the final day. Yeah, Chippenham take on Hungerford, who are, um, they've kind of gone, I think, their season's just sort of sliding into mediocrity a little bit. They lost 2-1 at home to Welling. And as Dickie mentioned, Welling have got Maidstone on Monday. Uh, Welling were actually behind in that game, but there was two goals late on. It was that man, once again, who got an equaliser, Dippo Akinyemi. And then Alfie Matthews got the winner in the 90th minute. And then Matthews was then sent off in the 96th minute. And as we mentioned Eastbourne Borough, they lost at home to Billericke. Billericke were ahead early on in that game. Anthony Jeffrey scoring after seven minutes. And then Dylan Gavin, 10 minutes later. Charlie Walker got a goal back for Eastbourne. And it's so, so tight at the bottom of the table now. Billericke, who were back bottom again. Welling, Billericke were above Welling on goal difference. Now Welling are two points ahead of Billericke going into those games on Monday. Uh, Really, really tight stuff it's going to be uh, going to go down to the wire it's fair to say Billericke they face Ebsfleet on Monday so a really tight game there obviously Ebsfleet looking to get or cement their place in the playoffs and then Billericke have Braintree who've got nothing to play for in an Essex derby but equally I reckon Braintree would want to send Billericke down so if you're Bill or Ricky, Rob, that's a massive blow getting into the dressing room and seeing that Welling have scored two late goals in the last five minutes. That's exactly the point that I was going to come in and make. Exactly that, yeah. Um, they they would have fancied that it would have been tough for Welling to get anything at Hungerford uh, yesterday. Uh, and, and and they did, so it was a crushing blow. And particularly for Bill or Ricky, who scored twice in the first uh, 20 minutes, uh, they did concede one, so it would have been a little bit squeaky bum. Uh, from the 34th minute onwards uh, in that one. But uh, of those games coming up on Monday, um, you would have to say Ebsfleet with everything to play for, they're going to be going full tilt. It's going to be really, really hard for um, Welling United. And I fancy that those positions might might find themselves changing around again um, after Monday's games when I quite fancy Billericke to, uh, to go and get something, um, possibly a win. Um, against Braintree. It's one of those where people are going to be checking the phones every five minutes over the next week or so. Bath City, they secured their safety a couple of weeks ago. They beat Tunbridge. Again, they were down in the bottom half. Neither side have got any relegation worries. Braintree, they won 3-1 against Hemel Hempstead. A couple of goals there for Jenny Critchlow uh, after Cal De Costa had opened the scoring for Braintree. So it's going to be an interesting last couple of Weeks in the National League South for sure. Um, 
it's certainly something to keep our, keep our eyes on, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, and I don't want to keep harping on about this, but I'm really gutted. I was really, I don't get enough opportunity to see the National League South because of my involvement uh, with BBC Surrey and with Aldershot. And uh, I was really looking forward to, to immersing myself in the National League South playoffs. Uh, and now, as we know, the semi-finals are going to be on the same day as the last day of the National League system. But I hope to get to uh, one of the eliminator games for sure. Um, and then depending on when it falls, potentially the final is well uh, to cover that one for the podcast. But a uh, long way to go in the battles um, for the playoff positions and uh, also at the other end where, you know, it's it's going to go down to the wire between Welling and Billericay. Um And uh, it does look as though um, the Tunbridge Angels, credit to them, huge credit to them, I've just done enough. I believe, Dickie, while we've uh, been recording, you've had a reply of Marcus Denanga. Yes, absolutely. Um, I did drop him a line very quickly. He's confirmed. Uh, flash calls was correct yesterday. He got two. Well, he did say if somebody's going to give him a hat trick, he'll he'll happily take it. So um, no no match ball for him. And, and he actually says it was two. But there we go. From the horse's mouth there. So yes. in the National League North, another dramatic day. Certainly at the top of the table, Gateshead won by three goals to one against Southport. But probably the game of the day and the game that had the most riding on it was Brackley against Blythe. Brackley needing to win to keep up the pace with Gateshead against the Blythe side who have been looking over their shoulders and fear of relegation. But it's fair to say the form book was turned upside down, wasn't it, Dickie? It absolutely was. Um, I mean, the National uh, National League North title race, I think, took a potentially decisive turn. Um, uh, in short, Blythe Spartans did to Brackley what Brackley Town have done to so many other teams this season and got a 1-0 away win um, at St. James Park, which essentially, uh, well, it does make Blythe Spartans safe, but it also means that Gateshead's gap at the top now extends to five points. Um, which means, uh, put simply, Brackley have got to win both of their games and hope that Gateshead lose both of their remaining games um, to, to deny Gateshead taking the title, which, given the current form, just doesn't look likely at all. Um, yeah, Gateshead's victory was was one we would have expected. Goals from Danny Ward and Sedwin Scott gave them the lead. Jordan Archer did get a goal back for Southport before the interval, but Owen Bailey made it safe in the second half. Uh, it's also a result that as good as takes Southport out of the playoffs as well. They're six points adrift, so it's going to take a quite a turn of events for them to make the playoffs now. Um, JJ O'Donnell was the man. He's been, he's been uh, he's almost taken over. I, I think. It, I'm not going to say taken over from Robbie Dale's status in terms of being a legend at, at, at Blythe Bottoms because you've got a long way to go to do that. But he's been their absolute leading light this season. Um, he got an acrobatic 60th minute winner to get them the three points. And uh, yeah, huge at both ends of the table. He's a Gateshead legend as well. He'll be even more love now at Gateshead, won't he, I think? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Agent O'Donnell, your work here is done, I think. You know, I was quite surprised when he left Gateshead for Blythe um, last season, but he has become, as I say, Blythe's main man, source of inspiration, um, even the provider of an official when he was at Telford a few weeks ago, uh, as we covered here on the podcast. Um, it, it means that Gateshead can win the title tomorrow. They travel to Chorley. Uh, Brackley go to Hereford tomorrow as well, which isn't the easiest of tasks. Hereford do still have a mathematical chance 
of making the playoffs. There's probably a little bit of um, spice in that one as well because of Janai Gordon's departure to Brackley a couple of months ago, which I know annoyed Hereford boss Josh Gowling. They'd taken him from Stratford Town, given him an opportunity at step two, um, but he wasn't contracted. Um, Brackley came in, made an offer and took him away from Hereford. And, and Hereford, I think, went, yeah. I'm not suggesting that there's any you know, particular kind of grudge there, but it might be a little sweet moment for their fans to think that they might uh, deny Gordon and Brackley the chance of automatic promotion. Yeah, just want to say about Gateshead, it looks likely that they might wrap up the title on Monday or next weekend, but what a fantastic coming back from the dead it is for them. Uh, it's not lost on me. Aldershot were lucky the season before last when... Uh, uh, they stayed up because uh, Gateshead were uh, demoted, if you like, to the National League North. And it was a torrid time for them. They just about uh, kept themselves together, uh, came again. And uh, we'll have to get our old friend Jeff Kent on, won't we, next weekend? Or, uh, you know, if they do get the job done. But I think it's fantastic for them. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's not one of my favourite grounds to visit just because it's an athletic stadium. And it's a nightmare to commentate from. But uh, for the club itself and the people behind it, uh, I'm absolutely delighted that uh, they might well be back in the National League next season. Yeah, I mean, looking at the the top of the table, I mean, I have to be honest and say that for slightly sentimental reasons, I would have liked Brackley to take the title just because I think that group of players deserve their shot at a higher level. Um, But I have to say, if you're looking at which team is more likely to be able to... Uh, compete in the league above, I think it's probably going to be Gateshead because they've got the goal power. I think Brackley are built on defence, but as Chorley find when you get up to the division above, you do need to have more firepower about them. And I think that's what Gateshead have got. Yeah, Fylde are in a bit of no man's land, aren't they? At the minute they're in third place, they can't catch Brackley. They probably won't be caught by Kidderminster. They drew nil nil at home to Kettering, which keeps Kettering's playoff hopes alive, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, I mean, Fylde, they, they can't go any higher than they are. I think third place is as good as confirmed. They've got a six-point lead over Kidderminster, so it's going to take a really strange turn of events for them to um, miss out on third place. Um, it was uh, a nil-nil draw yesterday against Kettering, but probably a more comfortable or a, a, um, a point that Kettering maybe needed more than Fylde. But in, in reality, with the way that the, the playoff chase is, Kettering would really have wanted to take all three there yesterday as much as that was a would have been a tall order against a filed team who've been in exceptionally good form since James Rowe took over. Yeah, interesting. I was going to say Kettering have drawn the last three. If they'd have turned one of those draws into a win, they would be in the playoffs. But you look at it and the last three draws are against filed Kidderminster and Gateshead. So not bad draws, really. No, not at all. I mean, it probably not the run in that they would have wanted when, you know, there is a playoff um, uh, at stake. And, uh, you know, they slipped up in losing 2 0 at home to Geisley a couple of Tuesday nights ago, um, a, a result that did give Geisley a glimmer of hope. But that was, um, you know, a, a real kick in the teeth for Kettering that one. They, they've come up with some decent results since then. And as much as they can still make it, it does look as if it's maybe just a little bit too um, far ahead of them. But overall, and especially considering that the, um, I'm going to say turmoil that, that Kettering have played since to potentially not just once but twice. They almost lost Paul Cox as a manager to AFC Telford United and then managed to hang on to him um, and then lost him a few months later when he went to Boston. So they've had 
all of that milling around um, in the background at Kettering. And for them to be as close as they are to the playoffs, I think is is probably more than Kettering fans would have uh, imagined they would get at the start of the season. A result I'm sure you were keeping a keen eye on, Dickie, on Saturday was Kidderminster against Geisley. Comfortable win in the end for Russ Penn's men and it keeps Geisley below Telford. Yes, it does. Yeah, Geisley stay um, in last place and it, it puts them in the position now of needing to win at least one, if not both of their remaining fixtures now, if they're going to catch Telford. It's a three-point gap. Telford do have a significantly better goal difference as well. So that one could be decided tomorrow. Kidderminster, slightly odd situation for them. I think they're, as, they're almost as good as confirmed in fourth place, but not quite. A, a 3-0 win yesterday. Two goals from Ashley Hamming, second one from the penalty spot and one in between from uh, Geraldo Bajrami. Yeah, Yarker, um, Yarker, probably the informed team out of the teams battling to get in the playoffs. They won 2-0 away at Farsley. That keeps Farsley in danger there, just above Telford. Charlie and Boston both got away draws. Yeah, they did. York were one of the few teams in um, who were chasing those playoff places who actually got a win yesterday, just them and spending more town, whereas there was a lot of draws around in the division yesterday. Um, a 2-0 win for York um, at Farsley, not too far to travel and goals in the second half from Clayton Donaldson and Lanell John-Lewis. They're in sixth place now. They've, they've kind of consolidated that a little bit. And you would think that York would make it into the playoffs now. Farsley, I think, are just about safe. They're four points ahead of Geisley in 20th place. Um, uh, again, we're talking about Geisley needing to win both of their remaining fixtures, probably to overtake them now, which is looking unlikely. Um, I mentioned Spennymore there. They, they can make the playoffs. Uh, they had a 1-0 win over Hereford yesterday. Jordan Thewlis with a goal in the 68th minute. They're just two points adrift of seventh, whereas Hereford have now got to probably win their final two games of the season and hope for some bizarre turns of events elsewhere if they're going to make it. Yeah, a lot of team needing snookers, which is ironic on the uh, the final, the World <laughs> Snooker Championship. Another team who are just outside the playoffs, who've kind of come from nowhere, are Alfreton. I know we've had... Uh, couple of tweets off Liam Henson. Thanks, Liam. He's begging us to come down. We will try and get down before the end of the season. And if they make it to the playoffs, we'll, we'll definitely come down as well. But uh, they were sort of in mid-table. Nobody really talking about them. But they drew against Chester, didn't they, after winning the previous four? Uh, yeah, Alfreton's form had, had slipped away um, to the point where I think they were down to something like 13th or 14th in the table. But I suppose it's that thing of that, the, the league position has been very deceptive this season. It's, you know, you need to be looking at the points and the gap to the playoffs. And it's never really been that big for those teams in, in mid-table of which Alfreton were one. They've been on a fantastic run lately. They are unbeaten in nine matches. I think they'd won four going into um, this one yesterday, including um, they had a 4-2 win over Curzon Ashton in midweek, which I think really gave fans of the likes of Liam sort of like this optimism, this hope that they were going to make it. Result yesterday did slow that juggernaut down a little bit. A goalless draw with Chester, probably a lot less um, than they would have been hoping for. But they are in there still fighting for it. They're just a point behind Boston United. They couldn't um, extend the gap yesterday. They got a 1-1 draw away at AFC Telford United. We'll probably come on to that one very shortly when we talk about the bottom of the table. Um, But, you know, uh, Boston, the team in possession, but it is so, so close. Yeah, well, let's go on to the bottom of the table. As I mentioned, Farsley, they lost at home to York by the safe. So it's between Farsley, Telford and Geisley. 
Farsley are four points clear currently of Geisley. Telford are just three points clear of Geisley. It was looking a lot less than that when they went 1-0 down to Boston, but they managed to drag themselves back, Dickie. And uh, it's squeaky bum stuff, isn't it, for you? Yeah, it is at the moment. I mean, I, I have to say, I wasn't nervous about yesterday's game. Um, uh, perhaps I should have been, but, you know, I'm sort of... Uh, I've been, dare I say, I've been through this enough times now to sort of, you know, accept that, that this is what comes your way every now and again. I thought Telford's performance yesterday was excellent. And and to be truthful, so was Boston's. It was a really, really good advert for Step 2 football. Both teams absolutely committed to trying to get the victory from minute one to minute 90. I think a draw probably was just about the fair result, even though I, I know Paul Card and the Telford manager felt that they had the better opportunities to get the winner if anybody was going to. Um, it does give Telford a three-point gap now. They go to Southport tomorrow, whilst Geisley hosts Bennymore, who, who still can make the playoffs. Um, I think Southport are just about out of them now. So Telford could make it safe tomorrow. Telford could make it safe and send Geisley down potentially but if they're going to do so, they're going to have to break the worst unbeaten or the worst away record in the entire division. Telford have not won in 20 attempts on the road this season. Tomorrow is their last chance at it. Can Paul Carden's team finally put a one in that um, away win column and make themselves safe? Interesting. You can see where Geisley's problems lie. They've only scored 29 goals this season. Uh, that's... Well, at least nine lower than the, the next worst team. Yeah, and, and they remedied that. Uh, well, not remedied, but uh, it was a blow to them lo- losing Jordan Thewlis to Spennymore Town. They got Dom Tier in from, from Halifax. They've had James Gale on loan from Mansfield Town. But they no, they haven't been finding the net consistently enough. player who impressed me when I saw Telford play them a few weeks ago was Jason Sraha, who was on loan from Barnsley. He's been recalled, so that's not uh, uh, particularly helpful to the Geisley cause um, either. Um, and yeah, they, they really have got it all to do now to, to win probably both of their remaining games when they've been in the type of form that they're in. Um, looks unlikely, but goodness me, we probably shouldn't rule anything out, should we? So there was two final games to look at in the National League North. Nothing really riding on them for any of the four sides. Curzon, they lost 2-1 at home to Leamington and Bradford Park and New Darlington played out a goalless draw. Yeah, the, the Bradford-Darlington game, I don't think there's an awful lot to, to write home about there. I think Bradford safely in mid-table. Darlington probably a bit disappointed that their their hopes of making a late playoff run have fallen away. And as you say, there wasn't much riding on Curzon Ashton versus Leamington as well. Um, a 2-1 win for Leamington. Dan Turner with a goal in the second minute. Joe Parker, who we've had on the podcast in the past, he scored in the first minute of the second half. Marcus Poscher got an 89th minute consolation for Curzon Ashton. But um, yeah, both of those teams looking forward to next season now. Although I would say um, I may well be seeing Leamington on Wednesday when they contest the Birmingham Senior Cup final against Stourbridge at Villa Park. So that's a, a nice game for them to end their season with. And quickly, well, last week we didn't really mention it, but Buxton have been promoted up to the National League North. Steve Cunningham, we know from Curzon Ashton, has got them up. He's since left the club, but it's going to be an attractive job for someone who's got a decent budget there. Quite a big squad as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Robin Dickey. No, you're Pleasure. very welcome. Excellent. And uh, don't forget to give us a follow on Twitter at NL Full Times. The same on Instagram. And give us a follow and a like on all your good podcasting platforms. Until then, we'll see you all very soon. (laughs) 